It's time to head south with the Fanta from Down Under. The Fanta. From Down Under. Do. Or do not. There is no try. Get out of my hang out. Here is your host, Adam O'Brien. G'day folks, how you going? This is Adam O'Brien coming to you live from Quinlan's Cantina in the Gold Coast of Australia. And of course, this is the Fanta from Down Under, brought to you by the one and only Fanta Tracks Radio. Star Wars news in a single file. And I can tell you, we're going to be chatting a little bit of Star Wars tonight here on the show. Joining us tonight is a dear friend of mine and a dear friend, of course, of Fanta Tracks itself. The one, the only, Din the amazing musician and, of course, one of uh, Canada's greatest exports when it comes to bringing positivity, fun, and just the love of Star Wars out there. So Den's going to be on uh, tonight to chat a little bit about his band, F-105, their current releases, and a little bit of Star Wars, all here on the Panther from Down Under. G'day folks, how you going? This is the Panther from Down Under, coming to you live on Panther Tracks Radio from Gold Coast in Australia. And joining me on the other side of the globe, across the pond, is the one, the only, the singer that you know so well from such amazing tracks as Rebel Girl and of course Desert Planet and my personal favourite right now is No Man's Land. Off the debut album of F105, it is none other than Dan Mate How I Am. Good mate, let's cut some tape mate. <laughs> Now, buddy, I've got to say, uh, you know, you've always been a dear friend when it comes to music and uh, obviously your love of Star Wars. And uh, I've seen your progression as not only a musician, but also a lyricist, I personally think. And um, this album that you've put out over literally 12 months ago now is the strongest in your journey as a, shall we say, a songsmith? I'll take that. I'll take that. Nice. I I think. Well, I mean, I did five albums with my former project, The Souls, and um, the only uh, of the five of the you know of the five albums, I think the first two. I sometimes, if I listen back now, I, I can sometimes get a little. Uh, I can get a little uh, queasy with some of my lyrics, but I see where they're going. Once I hit uh, the, the third album, which was Broken Ghost, and then the Notice Cathodos, um, which had the first Star Warsy song on it, Hero's Journey, really more. The RFR song was really more Hero's Journey than Star Wars, but uh, and then from that point on, I've been pretty, 
pretty happy lyrically and I really get excited about taking it to new areas with each album. I think musically and lyrically, I'd never repeat an album. And uh, the debut F105 record was really an extension of where we got with the last Souls album, which was Sand in the Sun with the spiritual stuff, with the Hero's Journey stuff. But like, I think F105 was my attempt to be more Star Wars in spirit. More George Lucas Star Wars in spirit in that, not sounding Star Wars, but just... You take the spiritual ideas, maybe even some political stuff, some heavier stuff, and make it fun. Mm. So I think lyrically I was able to mix, have a balance of fun and serious that I've never had before. Yes, it, like Rebel Girl and Desert Planet are fun, you know? Well, they are. It's certainly much more of a deep dive into the uh, things that you're very passionate about. And folks, if you could liken the actual work that Din has done to anything, you know, a lot of people have, say, one mentor in life and um, to help them through the hurdles and give them the skills and talent that they will need to get to that next level. Well, Din's very much like Paul Atreides out of the Frank Herbert novel Dune in the fact that he's had a couple, of course, a couple of influences, if you like, in that way of being a mentor. And one of those is, of course the one, the only, Bono of uh, U2, and also the amazing Canadian musician, Gord Downey. Uh, now, the late musician was one of the greatest when it came to um, his strength as a songwriter, lyricist, and one of the things that uh, I think Din is not given enough credit for. He has taken that um, talent also of being a poet from Gord Downey and really mastered the, when it come down to the last couple of songs you've done. Mate, you've done very well. Uh, thank you. First of all, um, my uh, Canadian head's getting a little too big comparing comparing me to Paul Atreides and Gord Downey and, and Bono, but um, I'll take it because I think uh, Bono. I mean, Gord Downey specifically. Most people listening to this probably don't know because they're the biggest band in Canada. And they will stay that way, I think, through all of history. I don't think any band will ever um, mean as much to Canadians as the Tragically Hip Chords band. Uh, if you're not from Canada, you never understand why. Um, but he uh, he was like an abstract painter with his words. So as he, as he grew his he would he would write down poetic verses or even lines that people said and he would carry like a journal and then if he, he would paste he would cut and paste you know almost like a montage like an abstract painting but a collage and montage you know a non-montage collage so he would collage lyrics that he had written at different times about different things and he would paste them together, even if he had a theme for the song, in a way that worked for the theme. And what that did was, it evoked something that was really layered in, in, in people's mind. Like, good poetry makes you interpret things many different ways, and everyone can interp interpret poetry their, their own way. And I think that's why the hip one of the reasons why he, as a lyricist, had that staying power, which was he always went back to a song and, and heard something new in the words or interpret, interpreted them differently. 
Um, and I think he may be a little, I mean, I think he should get more credit in, in terms of uh, being a lyricist and rock and roll in general. Mm. I mean, there's bands in the world that, that think there's artists that think they're one of the greatest rock bands ever. Like you know, when I remember when Pearl Jam was young and they first came to Canada, they were asked, so what are you, what are you excited to do here while you're in Canada? And they said to see the tragically hit. Like they were really respected throughout the music scene in the in the world. Crack a star as the moonlight glows. Where is home? Falling clouds rising small. sure to subscribe on iTunes for Feather Tracks Radio and all the other great shows along with Feather from Down Under. Also, you can find us on Spotify, of course, on Stitcher Radio, and of course, wherever you can find great podcasts. You can catch me, Adam O'Brien, at The Lethal Mullet on Instagram and Twitter. Um, yeah, so the other thing that might be of interest to, to our Star Wars people is that Gore Downey gave me the key uh, for how to mix Star Wars into rock as poetry, not as like a literal thing where I talk about Anakin like Weird Al or something like that, you know? So one of the things that Gore did in Canada, which really I think he was such a, he was a fanatic about hockey, you know, like we are about Star Wars. (laughs) (laughs) And from their, their first song, that had some hockey in it was a song called uh, 50 mission cap, I think. And, um, it told the story of Bill Barilko, this guy who was on the team. He scored the winning goal that won the Leafs the cup in like the seventies. But then shortly after he was found, uh, dead on a, like a fishing trip in Northern Ontario. And no one, no one knows. They couldn't figure out from the autopsy how. Like no one knows how he died. So it was really kind of a Canadian legend. So and it became uh, a legend that pe- a lot of people didn't know about. But then with this song, Gord told that story and um, researched it well, and uh, it, it became one of the biggest hits in Canadian music history, and it it sort of made a lot of young people that wouldn't have thought about Canadian history or Canadian myths be all all of a sudden really interested in, in Canadian myths all over the country. Uh, yeah. So, and the way he did it too was more poetic. So it was a hockey song, but not like a literal hockey song, you know, not about going to play hockey. It was about this Bill Barilko guy. And, uh, yeah. So then that was sort of my uh, key to, 
to thinking, oh, wait, I can mix Star Wars myth into my storytelling and have it not be a, like a literal Star Wars song, but but maybe poetic. Which I think is something that really makes it accessible, um, especially in Gord's part. And something that I think your music is, um, you know, very open for people to not only interpretation, but for them to sort of, I suppose, apply the hero's journey in those songs to um, their, you know, story or their plight, if you like. Yeah, that's music to my ears, no pun intended, because that was, uh, you know, with songs like Desert Planet and, and uh, Rebel Girl, that's literally my exact intention, uh, is to make something that feels Star Warsy but doesn't literally mention Star Wars, <laughs> but <laughs> is authentic to the hero's journey so that instead of i think that music works different than a movie for instance a movie tells a story of a character uh and then you see yourself in that character that's mythology you reflect uh like like the edge saying in that u2 song uh, a man makes a picture a moving picture through like projected he can see himself up close that's movies um that's mythology but in music i found to me when people would write like a literal story like of a care come up with a character say like the who's tommy or even um anything like that which became like literal storytelling i never felt like the person in that song the way I feel, like, I don't know what happens when you're watching a movie, but you f you can feel like you're the person in that movie. Does that make sense? It does, it does. And there's certain movies that would say, sort of break that formula to a certain extent. But music is something that can really trap you. And I think because you place it where you play music sometimes, for example, if you're listening to um, work like yours, and you could be either, you know, working out, or you could be, doing you know your daily grind work or something like that for example but the words the spiritually those words entrench in you and they sort of give you i suppose your own inner journey if you like as you're doing things i think that's something uh, that really traps um you know the mind and the music into your own life this is first of all this is my favorite thing to talk about uh because when i when i came up with this like concept to add the hero's journey to my music that gave me my philosophy as a writer. Um, but so like, I think it's to do with like what Joseph Campbell and Carl Jung talk about the dream state of mythology and how those archetypes work on a subconscious level. And the dream state is images, right? Yes. So I think something about a movie puts you into that dream state where the image you're dreaming you're seeing a character like a dream like you know say luke or anakin or, or ray but you become them sort of in the movie uh you, f you feel their emotions you feel that's the thing you feel their emotions like and that's you as them feeling it that's mm. how it happens that's the key emotion so it's like Picasso and even George Lucas said, like, art is emotion. Only emotion, Picasso said, only. <laughs> um, but so with a song, I never felt the emotion of a character, like, say, Tommy from the Who's, the Who's Quadrophenia. 
I, I, so I didn't want to sing about Star Wars characters. I, I didn't feel like I could make anyone feel anything through those characters. Or I didn't even want to invent my own characters and my own myth. Lots of people have done. Like Rush, that was a big thing in like sci-fi rock. rock. Just not The Who, but bands like Rush. Uh, so I felt like a song should just have the hero's journey embedded in it without mention really of specific characters so that the listener, while they're you know walking around, say with their headphones on, becomes the actual character and the music is the soundtrack of the hero's journey that they're in in that moment. Yes. And you know, does that it, make sense? It does. And it's more akin to um, less about, I suppose, music in that regards. It's storytelling and it's almost role play in some extents because the music is the sort of the, um, if you like, if you liken it to, like you're saying visually, it's kind of giving you the location, it's giving you the setting, it's giving you everything around you. And as you start to layer in the actual words of, uh, you know, putting you in place of this hero's journey, the, the challenges that they're going to face, that's what really brings it down to making it their journey through your music. Yeah, the listener's journey. Yes. I want them to be the hero because they are. Like, that's what Joseph Campbell was on about. Everyone... Everyone has a hero's journey, and even Jung was on it. That's what Carl Jung was saying. He was saying to Freud, no, look, this is not flighty stuff. He's like, if people who have uh, mental challenges or issues in their life, if they get tuned into where they are at on their hero's journey, then something clicks in their DNA, which motivates them to meet the challenge. So the the lyrics... Uh, that's why the lyrics in, in My Hero's Journey stuff is not linear. It's not a story that starts like, oh, here the, the hero starts and then goes through these steps. They're, all the songs are unlinear, and even the lyrics within the songs are unlinear. So I guess that's an influence from Gord in a way, too, which is very, like, collage So that wherever you happen to be in your hero's journey, maybe there's a song we do that can fit into where you're at that day. You know, because really in real life, <laughs> our hero's journey steps are all over the place every day and it's not as maybe linear as it is in, in movies. I think so too. And it goes back to us boys, George's influence. And um, I'm sure you listeners out there today will, will take this home on board. Here's a quote from the hero with a thousand faces. He says, we must reclaim the visionary, so that's the big part, is what you've brought to this here, is, you know, it's it's visually in their dream state. The utopian, the dreamer of the better or happier world. These are the non-childish or lies. These are the transcendence of men, the loss, the hurts, realisation of mortality we all face. And then to celebrate the present life moment also. So there you go. It pretty much nails what you've just said. Hmm. Yeah, I like what you're saying about the mortality part is something that recently, I think, uh, came in to my writing on the F-105 debut album, which was the last song, Last Moment, which is basically a meditation, um, almost an atmospheric song into um, if, if this is your last moment now, like make it, Make sure you're conscious of what you're doing. You know, would you want to 
die after right now doing what you're doing <laughs> or having done what you've just done. So that that was a cool. And I actually felt like that was maybe one of my strongest songs. And I was like, okay, if that's the last song I ever record and I do die now, I'll be happy with that. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's part of what it is. I mean, you, you also have the idea that um, people that, you know, are interested in hero's journey or that subconsciously don't realize that they're sort of in that state. Um, I think, you know, uh, the music, or in this case of, say, Star Wars even, if they're watching those movies, they don't realize that the storytelling is that good in those instances that um, they're already hitting those points as they go along the lines. Obviously, Joseph Campbell made sure with the, um, the study of those myths that there were certain checks along the way that the hero would have to face. Uh, for example, he says here, not all who hesitate are lost. The psyche has many secrets in reserve. So basically saying that, you know, you're going to find these challenges, but you're not going to realize that you have the power within you to do something about. And he says, and these are not disclosed unless required. So unless forced to face the challenge. Yeah, whether by a circumstance or you're, you force yourself or if it's an external, like, mentor. Yeah, that's what, that's what, um, great, that's why I, I love this scene uh, as in particular uh, in Last Jedi of Luke um, help directing Rey towards her inner, her inner being, you know, mm. that was beautiful. That was actually taken right out of, I, I feel like that was taking lit, that image of the blade of grass was taken right out of the hero with a thousand faces because <laughs> the quote is I remember stumbling upon it. Well, I just happened to be reading that book when Last Jedi came out. It wasn't intentional, but there's a line: um, the the mentor or the guide or the teacher, I can't remember what word he used, can even use a blade of grass to direct the wanderer towards the inner sanctum of their heart. And <laughs> Brian Johnson literally put that blade of grass on screen <laughs> as Luke was directing Ray into the, or her inner being. And, and my, I, it was only recently, I've always pondered that metaphor, like why blade of grass? And it's actually represented in that in that scene that the, I think it's the whole fabric of the universe, the atoms, the creation, the destruction, you know, that's going on in that scene even, like a blade of grass grows and then it dies. I think every answer to the reality of the cosmos is in a blade of grass. <laughs> and that's why it's used as as a metaphor in that scene, and that's poetry. I mean, that's where that's what we all know is great about Star Wars, and what people who think they they are uh, authorities on poetry and film don't get is that there's really great poetry going on. Oh, very much so. I mean, like George always repeated choruses, if you like, of music in in the way that. He would um, present, you know, a story element or something that um, could have a mirror in another uh, element or a balance, a yin to a yang. And in this case, uh, Last Jedi has got so many. And uh, one of the biggest themes is failure. 
and failure is a great teacher. Obviously, we see that scene literally with Yoda saying, you know, at the end of the day, we are what we, uh, they are what we, they, we cannot grow beyond. You know, that failure point gives them um, <clears throat> what it is that they need to grow past to become better than their masters or further down the line. And the thing is, Luke's own failure is what teaches him. Kylo's failure is what teaches him for better, or in this case, for worse, in becoming who he is. And even at the end of the film, when we get that, obviously, the Force projection, and, um, you know, that is a biggest teacher for Kylo in the fact that his own worst enemy is himself. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, so the more I think about it, the more, you know, I don't you probably know that I've said on Facebook a million times that The Last Jedi is actually my favorite movie of all time. And that's not just me reacting because we're a year later now and I still feel that. And or are we more we're more than a year later. We're almost 2 years later. So, yeah, man, that's my favorite scene in any movie ever. The, the crate encounter that says everything that I believe in, in terms of what spirituality is, what nonviolence is, what violence is, what, what teaching is, um, what compassion is, uh, God, that's the greatest scene ever. Really I think is. that two years later, the fact that we're talking about this line, the greatest teacher failure is the greatest teacher failure is, Wow, that is something that's going to last for a half a century as Star Wars wisdom, equal to anything that George Lucas ever wrote. Like, fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate, hate leads to suffering. That will last forever, but maybe even failure the greatest teacher is is even more powerful like that's every, i always see people quoting that any because it's the truth you know like at the end of the day going even back to episode one all the way through the mistakes that we make uh is what we learn from and it's very relatable for us in life we make a mistake we pretty much nine times out of ten humans won't make the same mistake again because it's such a bad experience they'll go, okay, uh, this is how I get around that and not do that next time. Right, right. That's a great lesson. So, uh, so yeah, we're we're uh, really on the... i got to be careful because I can end up just talking about the last Jedi, the whole conversation. <laughs> <laughs> no, instead, let's go through the actual album for the folks out there today because I, I think this is the anniversary, uh, folks, of the actual release of this album and the first tour that was done. And obviously to give you a bit of an insight into what the song's about. Now track one is called Rebel Girl. Obviously a lot of people in the Star Wars community will know this song from, um, you know, especially 12 months ago, getting it out there, getting it, promoting it. Um, a lot of the podcasts out there in the community have played this song. And it's, it's a great track at the end of the day. Um, tell us a little bit about making this song. So this would be um, the, I felt a lot was on the line with this song as a lead single for the F-105 debut album, because essentially this was, even though I did a lot of Hero's Journey songs on the last few Souls albums, um, there was only the one that was Star Wars-y in feeling, right? So 
then to get to the debut F105 record and feel like, oh, I want to make another song like this because, you know, not only did it work for me and not only is it the subject matter that I love more than anything, but I also found that this thing that, this Hero's Journey Star wars thing that I found worked for people, for my audience. It worked like, you know, Carl yesterday, um, the drummer from Fantatrax, you know, and uh, the co-host of Des- the new show Desert Planet Dis on your wonderful network. He he was telling me, you know, and you were telling me this way back that he got into music in Star Wars because of my the, my RFR song, and that was written to be a song that would inspire people specifically to find their journey and start creating their thing that that they need to create like it, that was about find you know about ins- trying to see if this hero's journey can work through songs to inspire people to to create their own thing and then that it had worked so then to get to uh, rebel girl the challenge was uh again I, th- I thought okay well the hero's journey is a useful thing to help people where they're at so um my niece um she she was nine when she fell in love with Star Wars because of The Force Awakens. And then by the time of making this album, I think she was about 11 or 12. And uh, she never really liked any of our songs. And I realized I was failing as a rock musician because I wasn't really writing anything for teenage girls to like. <laughs> like... I'm sorry, if you're just making dad music, then you've forgotten what rock's about. So I was like, okay, can I make a song that my 11-year-old niece would like, you know, who loves stuff like Jonas Brothers and Taylor Swift or whatever. And so then I realized she she loves Star Wars, so can I write a girl's Star Warsy song? And perfect timing because, you know, Ray, Force Awakens, Jin. Uh, at the time was out in Rogue One, so I was like, okay, Star Wars is really relevant in terms of female representation right now, so that's what my niece loves, and and so I, there's the subject matter, okay, so lyrics done, but then musically I was like, but kids like stuff that is dancing now, they like, they don't, so how do I make it not sound dad rock? So I mixed... Uh, like a Ramonzi chorus with the door, the doors kind of, I thought like a Dorsey bass line mm-hmm. might work for female listeners too, because, because females tend to like their, their drum and bass. I, I don't want to generalize here. It sound weird, but I think something in a female sensibility, which I noticed a lot is like g- girls, even if you're at a club, they'll dance, they'll be the ones dancing before the guys get out. Right. And in general, not everyone, but there's a response more to the low end groove. And uh, so I knew it had to be that. So I was like, okay, Doorsy baseline, low end groove. And I think that's part of what made the doors kind of appeal to that audience or that, uh, that sensibility. But then it's all in the beat. So what can an 11 year old dig? So I eventually got the idea to use this simple pattern from a popular, the most popular sort of dance, hip-hop, 
group in Canada at the time, which is a group called Tribe Called Red. And in the salt, and they're they're indigenous. Uh, so in the song called Redskin Girl, the beat was boom, boom, ah, boom, boom, ah, boom, boom, and that was booming in clubs across the country. So our manager, my producer, and guitar player, and and mentor in, in, in real life and music, Mark, he actually knew the manager and said, "Do you mind if we use this beat?" So we use the beat, the sample underneath the song, but we have drums playing over it. So we give it our interpretation. I think that beat made it something that a younger person could feel as relevant or respond to. And um, yeah, that's I feel like that's kind of a perfect song. I'm really critical. I think I have OCD, so there's a lot of songs that I cringe when I hear. But I think that's pretty perfect in terms of what I wanted to get and how and we got there. And uh, yeah. Rebel Girl. So then, it, then when people actually liked it, you know, even David Collins gave it a, a great response. I have that quote on, the, uh, on my bio, and uh, everyone in fandom, like even I was really uh, honored when you know the Sky Talkers podcast. The, the two girls, they're like really young. They're like young twenty, early twenties. Um. They really liked the song, so I was like, okay, uh, uh, now now maybe I'm not dad rock, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> At least for that song. And that's all we have time for this week on The Fanta from Down Under. Stay tuned for part two of our chat on the next episode of The Fanta from Down Under with Din, where we go to some of the influence of where the songs on the new album for F-105 have come from, and much much more and star wars chatting more all here on fantha tracks the fantha room down under and of course fantha tracks all your star wars news in one single file